Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Deep Roots Forward Thinking, the podcast series by the Young Lockwood Sour team at UBS in Houston. I'm your host, Liz DeMontrand. I am joined by my teammate and podcast newbie, Brian Sauer. Hi, Brian. Hey, Liz. How are you? Good. Welcome to the studio. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, good. Well, we are very excited to have you, and we're thrilled to have our guest, who is a legend in the golf community, both here in Houston and around the country, around the world. And, you know, I was going to go into your background, but I think Brian will kind of kick that off, tee it up for us, if you will. No no pun intended. But um, we are joined today by Bruce Davidson, who is the golf director of the Friedkin Group. So welcome, Bruce. Good morning. Nice to be here, Liz. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. Brian, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, Bruce, great. Thanks to be here. If you would, for our listeners who don't know who you are, just give us a little background about you, where you're from, how you got into golf, how you ended up in Houston, Texas, out of all places, and a little of your background. Well, first of all, I'm not a legend. <laughs> Rory, Mc- Rory McIlroy's a legend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a club pro who's uh, been very lucky in life. I came to Houston, first of all, in 1978 as part of a boys team that was sponsored by some businessmen. About that time, the cities of Aberdeen and Houston twinned because of the emerging oil industry in Aberdeen. And it was an idea, 12 of us came over, and it was um, timing and serendipity, as all these things are. I actually won a tournament, which turned out to be a big tournament. I didn't know it when I played in it. If I had known it, I probably wouldn't have won it. Uh, It was at Blue Bonnet Bowl, it was at, the now defunct Waterwood Nashville, a national up in Huntsville. So that was good because college coaches were there. And then the next week, uh, two things happened that were life-changing. First of all, I played against Cal Devlin, who's Bruce Devlin's son, at Champions. And I went out number one for my team and played against him. And he birdied the last hole to beat me. But Jackie Burke watched us play the last few holes. And when I came in, he asked me to come into his office. I thought, first of all, I'd done something wrong. (laughs) And I I still remind Jackie of this story. Um, And now I'm 61 and Jackie's 97. I was 17 years old. And Jackie said, you're not good enough to play for the University of Houston, but I can get you a golf scholarship tomorrow at the University of St. Thomas. And I said, that's great. I had absolutely no idea where the University of St. Thomas (laughs) was. And then two days later, I played at River Oaks with Dick Harmon which was probably the biggest break I ever got in my life. They didn't have enough kids to play us. I remember Scott Verplank played on the junior team. Um, So that's going back a few years, isn't it? He's now on the senior tour. He was 14. And when I went back home and told my parents I was going to come to America to university instead of going to Aberdeen University to study law, which is what I was going to do, or what I thought I was going to do, my dad said, well, that's great, but you're going to need a job. And so I looked at a map and figured out that University of St. Thomas was pretty close to River Oaks Country Club and wrote Mr. Harmon a letter. And I started off caddying. And the first person I caddied for in August of 1979 was John B. Young. Wow. Wow. How about that? You can't make that up. You cannot make that up. That is crazy. (laughs) And so I worked at River Oaks through college with Dick, for Dick, part-time caddying, starting, eventually became the starter. And then when I graduated in 1983, I decided not to pursue a job in wealth management, actually. One of the the, the, uh, members offered me a job. I just wanted to be a golf pro. Uh, And like many before them, I tried to play and didn't make it. I went back to the European tour. I should have mentioned also that I met my best friend in life at River Oaks Country Club, John McNeely, who is now my business partner. 
at Congaree with Mr. Friedkin and the late Mr. McNair, but John and I have been fast friends since then. And that was also life-changing for me. John's been kind of like my big brother my whole life. So I went back to Europe, tried to play, didn't make it, played a bit. I was better than average, but not good enough to make a paycheck every week, I would say. And then I got into business and got lucky. I had a couple of good ideas in Aberdeen, which turned out a driving range. And then we did some restaurants. And in the mid-90s, a company came along and, and bought us out. And I always wanted to come back to America. Uh, I thought I wanted my children to do what I did, which was to go to college and play sport, because I believe that's America is still the only country that does that. And, I, and I'm a big supporter of college athletics. And so we got lucky enough to get a call. We were living in Trinidad. My wife's from Trinidad. We were living in Trinidad at the time. And I uh, got a call from River Oaks Country Club asking me if I would apply for the job. Mr. Harmon was retiring. So I applied for the job and I was lucky enough to get it. And I was very happy to go back. I mean, I think it shows what a great country America is when you can start off caddying at a club then you become the director of golf. And when I retired there, I'm very proud to tell you that they give me an honorary membership. And so when people tell me that, you know, America is not a good country, I kind of like to tell them that story. Wow, that's amazing. Just the, the, the cycle of all that is just amazing. So if you would talk about once you retired from River Oaks, we, you started the Congaree Foundation. Give us a little background about the initiative and, you know, where the idea was born and talk a little bit about the club and the course. And Well, as I've said many times before, you can have an idea, but unless you have guys can make the idea realistic, then it doesn't matter. So John McNeely and I had talked for years about finishing our career together, uh, doing a philanthropic club. And we sort of thought we'd probably end up cobbling our money together and buying a muni somewhere because we wanted to, both of us went to college to play sport. John actually played in the final four for NC State with David Thompson. Wow. He lettered in two sports at college. He had 54 scholarship offers. I got one. <laughs> um, puts it into perspective and talent level. Um, but we had this idea, and then uh, I got involved with Dan Friedkin because Mr. Friedkin bought Diamond Creek from Wayne Heisinger, and John had developed Diamond Creek with Wayne Heisinger. So Dan put me on the board. So I became a small shareholder and a, and a partner with them in Diamond Creek. And Dan said to me one day, you know, really love the fact that we got Diamond Creek, but would like to do one from scratch. So we pitched the idea, the philanthropic club. And all of a sudden, Dan said, I really, really like this. I felt personally that once we got the renovation passed that Tom Fazio did in 2013, that I had fulfilled my obligation to River Oaks Country Club. I felt like I couldn't I didn't just want to stay and manage it. I'd done what I was, I was hired by the board to improve the golf experience, which I tried hard to do and I think did. And I just felt like I needed to repot myself. Not that I ever really wanted to leave River Oaks, I didn't think I ever would. But the opportunity to do the world's first philanthropic club. And then when you had Bob McNair come in and say to Dan, you guys can't do this without me. I mean, now we had two of Houston's most successful, well-respected business people behind us. I just knew that we had a chance to make this thing successful. So I retired in 2014 from River Oaks. And although I still live in Houston, just took me five minutes to get to your office today. It's very convenient. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of my time in South Carolina. So we built that club from scratch. There's been a lot written and said about it. Don't want to spend too much time going over old ground, but there's a 501c3 foundation which stands separate from the club. We now have 250 or so ambassadors, which is what we call our members. We have one member. We had two. Mr. McNair passed away. Our ambassadors are invited every year to come back. 
And I'm proud to say that we've raised something like $15.4 million for, for the Congaree Foundation, which we use for all manners of making life better for well-deserving and underprivileged children. Who have a passion for golf? Not all of them. I mean, we have our signature program, which is Congaree Global Golf Initiative. And I'm actually leaving in a couple of weeks to the UK because we have our first international camp, taking the team there instead of flying all those kids over. We just did 24 kids in our in our in our camp at South Carolina, and that would take the amount of Congaree kids up to, if my math is right now, 138 kids that have gone through that program and will go to college on the very best of scholarships, which is what our team gets for them. And the foundation does a lot of work for Jasper County as yeah, well. Yeah, which is what I meant with when not all of them. I mean, we have introduced golf to uh, the local high school. When we got to Ridgeland, uh, there were no kids playing golf at the high school, and we built them a practice tee, a putting green, chipping area, and we now have 250 kids at school playing golf, and they get credits for that. And of course, the hitting balls in a driving range is one thing. Liz, you're a new golfer, you understand this. Taking it on the golf courses is sometimes difficult because in this country, and like the UK, there's a barrier to entry in golf, and mostly that's financial. And, you know, it's something that I've struggled to kind of deal with in when I see all these kids who could be really good players, they just don't have anywhere to play. So uh, it was John McNeely's idea, give him kudos for it. There was a, a local club, nine hole golf club, I didn't even know existed, it's called Sergeant Jasper. And it's in Ridgeland itself, and it was, in, it was going into administration. So we rescued it from that. Uh, the foundation bought it, and we're restoring it. And now every child in that area who plays on a high school team plays free. But not only that, we gave something back to the community because there wouldn't have been a golf club within 50 miles if we hadn't done that. Yeah, and it's a very poor county. You do a lot for the local food bank and just yep. the local community in general. So, As do our ambassadors. You know, the ambassadors help. They're hands-on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, last year, you congratulations on a successful Canadian Open relocation to Congaree. I know that was forced on you at a very quick time frame. You had to turn that around very quickly and host your first PGA Tour uh, event. 72 days. Yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> and you just made a huge announcement that the CJ Cup is going to be at Congaree in October. So if you would, just share a little bit about you know your experience with hosting your first PGA Tour event as well as preview of the CJ Cup. Well, I think it's the, the old story. If you're thrown in at the deep end, you know, you're either going to sink or swim. <laughs> and we had to swim because there was, a, there was a drop dead date. So we just set up a war room and we had a great team. It was a huge effort. And with the state of South Carolina in with us as a sponsor, we managed to get that done. And, and, and I think the Palmetto Championship was a, was a big success. We finished second in the bidding for the 2026 President's Cup. That went to Medina, uh, and that stung. I mean, we're friends with the PGA Tour. We're partners with the PGA Tour. But I think looking back and looking forward, they will they will realize that they should have given it to Congaree because we are growing golf. Right. That said, uh, the commissioner has been extremely great to deal with. And, and, and when the CJ Cup, again, wasn't going to Korea, they came to us and said, you know, would you like to do that? And it, I must myself, I went back to the state and said to the governor's people, you know, there's an opportunity. And again, they've come in. And that just makes it a lot easier to promote. But, but this time around, slightly different. We are hosting. So we're not actually organizing. The PGA Tour is organizing. We are simply giving them the, the golf course for the uh, 
for the week. We're very excited. I met with the CG executives last week at Congaree. I had them for four days. Just spoke to Mr. Friedkin this morning, actually, and said that I'm absolutely thrilled because they, like us, are focused on excellence and execution. They just want to make this the best event of the PGA Tour. Uh, Jay Monahan texted, we texted a couple of weeks ago, and he said, I quote, you will have a very strong field. Uh, Rory's defending champion. I think he'll play. So if you get Rory, you get Scheffler, you get Spieth, you get Raman. Look, it's next season. I have no idea who will play. But I think the way things are right now with the prize fund, the fact that CJ and Mr. Freakin want, and the McNair group, they, we all want this to be a success. So we're very excited and we're very proud. And, and I actually think, you know, last year um, I would have lost a lot of money because I had a lot of bets that six under par would win. But the rain canceled the bets. And they got 11 under uh, early because of the rain. But that's what won. And I think if it doesn't rain and with the fact that it can get a little cool at the end of October, you might see the teeth that Congaree bears daily for our ambassadors on television, which I think personally would be fun. Mr. Freakin wants it that way, and so does the CJ guys. I'm very aware of those teeth. You know? <laughs> so it, it could be great viewing, you know. Yeah, I, be- I personally, I like to watch the U.S. Open. And, and I was watching the Scottish Open from Renaissance. I'm pretty familiar with that area and watching those guys in the wind yesterday. And it's kind of it's kind of perversely fun to watch the best players in the world struggle. Yes, it, 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 makes, it, it makes me feel better about myself. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to that. Do you have any thoughts on the most topic in golf, the live tour? You're welcome to pass on that if you'd like to, but um, just curious what your thoughts might be. Do I need to call my lawyer? <laughs> There's been a lot of stuff uh, you know, written and said about it, and I just wanted to hear what you had to say. Yeah, I mean, I think every golfer, I have spent my life in golf. Right. And I've spent my life very close to the guys played a few senior majors. I know all the guys my age. I played college with them. And I talked to a lot of people. Right. I mean, whether that's Lanny or Curtis or Mark Amira or some of the younger guys that I know. So I've got I've got a, an opinion based on some of the things that they've said. I don't think that there would, could be a better mouthpiece for Liv than Greg Norman if you're on the side of the PGA Tour. And I think the press conference that I saw with Phil Mickelson was embarrassing. And for them to come out and say that they're growing the game, they're growing their bank account. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody knows that. Nobody's stupid. If you look at the viewership that they got, I mean, I'm I'm old, so I'm not going to go onto my phone and try and get it on my television. It's too complicated. And if my kids aren't around, I can't achieve it. <laughs> so I'm not going to YouTube it. There were 100,000 people watched that event in London. It's a who cares number. If you look at the Canadian Open and the theater, and then follow that up the week after with the U.S. Open or close thereafter with the U.S. Open. The PGA Tour, in my opinion, is in a very strong position. Now, that said, competition is good for everybody. We live in a free market economy. I've had the pleasure of having dinner with Adam Scott a few times lately because he comes to Congaree to practice before the tournaments. And there is huge substance behind his rhetoric. And he and I were asking each other what we thought, and we both eventually said the same thing, which is, I think for sure, I can't talk for Adam, but I think for sure the tour has to come up with a three-tier tour to whereas they increase the purse money, they said they're going to do it for six tournaments, that's enough. That's not enough. They need to do like 20, 15 tournaments at 20 million. 
And so they're going to have to get some better institutional funding. They're going to have to really align themselves with their major sponsors. I think there's enough people in the world of business who wouldn't mind seeing the live tour fall flat in its face. And they should be able to get some, I think, hopefully get some people behind them. But if they can compete in any way and then spread that prize money down, the promotion relegation that is in other sports, the most economically viable sport in the world is, is the English Premier League. They, the tours got it wrong for a long time. They have too many exemptions. If you're 124th at something, I don't think you're that great. <laughs> so personally, but yet you as a 124th guy are exempt because you vote yourself exempt. So they need to shuffle that up. And if they let some of the prize money drip down, leave the tour where it is, but have a premier tour, this is all Bruce Davidson hypothesis, hopefully not going to get sued or in trouble. But then if some of that money came down to the Corn Ferry Tour, because that's the future of the game. Now that, Phil, is growing the game. Making sure that the guys are out there playing, because they're going broke. They don't make enough money. The guy who finishes number one on the Corn Ferry, he might win half a million for the year. Well, his expenses, doesn't matter which tour you're playing, your expenses are still going to be the same. So I think if they're smart and they realign themselves and reinvigorate their business model, I think the PGA Tour wins. That actually leads greatly into my next question. Speaking of the Corn Ferry Tour and the up-and-coming rising class, I know you have a very close relationship coaching a few of them along the way through life and golf, and just wanted to get your thoughts on you know potentially some of the next up-and-comers that you see coming down the pipe. Well, I coach one, uh, Cole Hammer, who's a local boy, River Oaks member, was called back onto that bag a couple of years ago. He kind of misstepped, lost his lost his way, happy to help him. He got his, he finished fifth in PG Tour U and got his conditional Corn Ferry card. He hasn't had the best of starts, but I have no doubt in my mind that Cole Hammer is going to be a successful PG Tour player. Now he's got all the tools, he's got all the gifts. Like everybody else, it's a learning process. You go out there and all of a sudden there's guys you've never heard of be you. And that's life. And he's going to get exposure to that. Um, what I've seen, I think Pearson Cootey, He's already started off. Yeah, he, you know, won. he won. Yeah, he did win. So when you win at that level, golf is about that. You know, Paul Laurie, who won the Open in 1999, was an assistant of mine at Kings Links in Aberdeen. And so we started Paul off. And Paul was not scared to win. And you're either scared to win or you're not. So Pearson Cootie's proven already that he's not scared to win. What do I mean by that? When, when, when you're coming down the stretch in an event, I was always a guy thinking, can I make the cut? You know, I knew my limitations. I need to make the cut to eat, actually, or maybe to get to the next to country the next town. to play. <laughs> but Pearson Cootie's come out swinging. He's won. The guy that I think is a sleeper is this Chris Gottrop from Oklahoma. He's the OU guy. Yeah. And simply because Cole told me that on his best drive, Chris Gottrop hits it 75 yards by him. Oh, my gosh. And Cole Hammer's long enough. Wow. And in his first start last week or two weeks ago, Chris Gottrop finished second or third in a PGA Tour event. So I've watched him. He really blew the last, in NCAAs, he should have got the fifth place. Didn't all those kids play in the Greenwood Cup as well? I don't know if Gottrop did. Pearson and Parker did. Right. So Gottrop would be my name to look for. Okay. And then on the PGA Tour, I was very happy to hear that Harold Varner III is not going to live. I've had... You know, I, I don't coach him per se, helped him a little bit with his bunker play and his putting, but he's a close friend. He's become a close friend of my kids. I mean, I've got kids that age 
and he comes to the house, if he comes to Houston Open for dinner, and I've kind of helped him with a little life coaching. And I think it was a great decision for Harold not to go to live, to stay on tour, because I think he's a talent to watch. That's good news, really good news. What's your favorite golf course other than Congaree or River Oaks? Well, it, it, I think that would depend. That question depends how it was framed. In the summertime, you can't beat Royal Aberdeen or Muirfield in Scotland. Royal Aberdeen, I wasn't a member there growing up. That was a fancy club. But I played a lot at Royal Aberdeen. I have some great friends at Royal Aberdeen. 1780. So it's the sixth oldest golf club. Uh, you know, we were still fighting over here in 1780, fighting the British. I think we just finished that. But it's, it's just a fantastic links golf course. Um, Muirfield is my most favorite golf course in Scotland, where they play the Open. It's just a terrific day's golf. Again, it's 1764, I think. So it's going back a long way. And they haven't changed too many things at either club, by the way. They don't have green committees that come in and, well, they have it at Royal Aberdeen. I better watch what I say. <laughs> um, in England, I like Sunningdale, personally. Selfishly, personally, I made the cut there in the Senior Open in 2015. It's always been one of my favorite golf courses. And we, people tend to favor their golf courses that they play well on. In this country, without a question, I've been fortunate enough to play Augusta and Pine Valley. I think Pine Valley is my favorite of those two because it more suits my game. Augusta now, if you play all the way back, I can't get round. Pine Valley, I can still make it round. And Pebble Beach should not be discounted because if you haven't played Pebble Beach and you're a golfer, you, anybody needs to play there before they die. And it's not just about the golf course. It's about the view and the seals and the weather. And, oh, it's fantastic. So there, that, those are my favorites. Well, great answers. And well, we'll just end it on this. Other than your boys, who are the, some of your favorites that you've ever played around a golf with? Well, I've played a lot of golf with John McNeely. I mean, John's been my big brother, my mentor, my swing coach my whole life, and I love playing golf with John. Together, cumulatively now, I think we're 133 years old or there around <laughs> 130, so we don't, play, we don't play as much as we used to. But it's always and, – and, you know, John's been one of these guys that even he's 70 years old now. And I, I mean, I'm not sure I can still beat him. I'm not sure I'll ever <laughs> beat him. He's just been a great athlete and a great player. I love playing with John. I love playing with my wife and kids. I really enjoyed playing with Dan Friedkin. And of course, I enjoyed playing with Bob McNair before he passed away. They're always great guys to play with. I, I've always enjoyed, and Peter Fleur, you know, who's been a huge influence in my life. You know, I've been lucky to have guys like Peter Fleur in my life. You know, when you're 35 years old and you think, you know, the name of the unknown soldier, Dick Harmon used to say, to have a guy like Peter Fleur put his hand on your shoulder and say, that's probably not the right thing to do is invaluable for any club pro. And I've always said to all my assistants, if you're lucky enough to have a guy like Peter Fleur at your club, then embrace that. Great. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate your time today. And it was awesome talking to you and see you on the golf course soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Bruce. Like Bruce said, I'm a, I'm a newbie. I played my first 18 holes of golf three weeks ago. I'm pretty sure my husband let me win. So it's good for me to get some pointers and just hear more about the sport that you know, our team loves, our clients love, and, you know, there are so many fans around around the world. So thank you again, Bruce. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Again, Appreciate this it. has been another episode of Deep Roots Forward Thinking. Liz DeMontron signing off. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>